Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Good morning. It's so nice to be with you today, even though I am remotely being with you today. But uh, thank you for putting up with this distant uh, teaching. It's a teaching, though, today that I absolutely love. I hope you love it, too. If you have your Bibles, because my face is taking up your screen, there's not going to be all this PowerPoint and everything. But if you have your Bibles, uh, would you turn into Second Chronicles uh, chapter 20? And that's where we're going to be looking at today. That's the story of another time when God fights uh, for us in the battles that we're facing. Have you ever been in a crisis? That's kind of a dumb question, isn't it? You know, you think about crisis, either I'm not in one right now. If I'm not, then I most likely have just finished one or about to go into one because we live in this world, and this world has crisis in it pretty much all the time. If it's not you, it's somebody you love and know that is dealing with something all the time. This year has been actually unusual uh, for crisis because we have the COVID development of the year. So with COVID development, you know, I have realized that I spend my whole life doing uh, with just the COVID issues. Is this just allergies or do I have COVID? Do I have a cold or do I have COVID? Am I just tired and run down or do I have COVID? Is this a tension headache or do I have COVID? Am I out of, uh, am I having shortness of breath because I'm just out of shape or do I have COVID? You get the picture? This is the way we live. And I have been tested three different times uh, for COVID for different reasons, uh, to, mostly to be with family. and. Every time it comes about back negative, I am reassured that my runny nose and scratchy throat is just the allergies I have had my entire life. But that's just an added tension that we have had uh, to our regular life of crisis, our regular things that come up like our health issues, our family, our marriage, finances, education, our jobs, our friends. And then we add this doozy of a year on top of all that and it has really escalated for all of us I think when we go into our personal crisis why does God actually allow crisis to come into our life we ask that question people have asked it for generations I always kind of come to this conclusion that God loves me too much to not allow crisis to come into my life that's an interesting statement I know but my problems problems that come into my life always brings me before God like Never am I brought before God on the easy peasy days. I always just run straight to Him in a crisis and I cling desperately to Him in a whole different way. Crisis changes my prayers. I don't do those rote prayers of, you know, God bless my family, but now I'm praying different, differently and saying, God, you know, you've got to help my family. I don't know what we're going to do about this situation. And so uh, crisis makes us very specific and a different urgency in our praying than the God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food kind of prayer that we do on the easy days. So we start off in Second Chronicles chapter 20. And if we look at verse 1 of chapter 20, it starts off with after this. Well, after what? 
Well, in chapter 18 and 19, we see what we are after uh, starting this study. In chapter 18, King Jehoshaphat actually made an unfortunate alliance with the evil King Ahab. He was of the Northern Kingdom and King Jehoshaphat was of the Southern Kingdom. And so he had married his child to King Ahab's child and then they agreed to fight battles together. And King Ahab uh, took King Jehoshaphat and his army into a battle. And as uh, the enemy was coming to kill King Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat cried out to God and he rescued him. And King Ahab did not make it out of the battle, but King Jehoshaphat did. Chapter 19, then you see uh, King Jehoshaphat really just cleaning up Judah, uh, the southern kingdom, started destroying idols and bringing people back to following God and serving him. So he didn't just do it for himself. He actually moved his whole kingdom in to following God there. Uh, so this after this that's coming has, is signaling that this has been uh, King Ahab crying out to God and then uh, totally pulling himself and his people to follow God completely. And so after this, a crisis comes. And that's an interesting thing. After King, Ahab, uh, King Jehoshaphat was walking so closely to God and his people, uh, we're walking so closely to God. This is when a crisis comes. You know, sometimes we can feel so indignant when we've been so much following God and doing what he's asked us to do, and we feel like our feet get kicked out from under us, that uh, we say, I was living for you, and we kind of feel like God owes us to protect us. God owes us uh, to protect those that we love and to have favor on us because we have been following him. I, I did feel that way um, when I was a missionary in Burkina Faso with my first husband, my three children, and they're a year, and my first husband caught a disease like the other people in where we lived did, and he was one of hundreds that died, and I couldn't understand God. And that was my, my indignant um, feeling at that stage was, God, I have followed you everywhere you've asked me to follow you. And now you have allowed my husband to die. And that, that was, uh, I felt like God owed me because I had followed him. And it, it did create some bitterness in my heart toward God during that time. And that is one response. Or what if we could see that God was preparing King Jehoshaphat for the crisis that was coming? You know, I love that concept. I have a friend who uh, was, got in shape and I think it was, can't remember whether it was the two oceans or the comrades, I'm not sure which one she ran in, but she was strong and healthy and doing better physically probably than she had ever, ever done in most of her life and then discovered she had cancer. And you can say, what? She's finally healthy and doing everything great and enjoying her life and now it's cancer. But what if God was getting her ready to be the strongest she'd ever been to go through this awful disease. So I think that about King Jehoshaphat, God gave them this privilege of chapter 19 time in their life to get their kingdom following God and worshiping him and growing in their knowledge and love for the Lord. And then after this, the enemy grouped together, three, three uh, different people groups came together 
to attack King Jehoshaphat and his nation. And so this was what was happening at that time. In verse 3, it says that King Jehoshaphat became afraid. Now, I love that it just starts out like that. This is his response. He was afraid. Crisis make us afraid. It really does. And it doesn't matter if you're a king, a president, or great leader of a nation, or if you're just like me, just a mama and a grandma and a wife. We're afraid when crisis attacks us. And his response, though, was that he set his face to seek the Lord. He determined to set his face seeking the Lord. I love that. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And it's just so amazing to me that he used his power, his uh, position to draw all of the nation together into a fast and into a prayer time to know what to do about this enemy that has come against them. And in verse four, it says, and all of Judah assembled. They all came together to seek help from the Lord. Isn't that amazing? And that's what I love about our church when we do our fasting and praying together. I love that that all of us come in a unified heart and voice to our heavenly father, crying out for the same thing. And that's what they have done here. They all were seeking help from the Lord. All the, They came in from all the seas of Judah. And it says they all sought help from the Lord and they sought the Lord. Those are two different things. Uh, I feel like so often we can easily seek help from God. Help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. But I think very often we forget to seek the Lord, to just find out who he is and spend time with him and, and get to know him and be in his presence and enjoy being in his presence. How fun is that? You know, when you uh, just seek him. And I think probably the last time we would do that is in a crisis. Very often we uh, don't just go into his presence and just be with him. But this is what uh, King Jehoshaphat and his people did. They sought help from the Lord and they also sought the Lord, those two things. And I think that's very important when we're looking at how do we deal with the crisis. And then in verse five, uh, King Jehoshaphat stood in front of everybody and he began to pray over all the people. He takes that position of leading his people before God and he begins to pray and he starts saying who God is. I love this. He starts off there. He, do, he doesn't start off with the, God, you got to help us prayer, which I very often am doing. Uh, the sky is falling kind of a prayer. But he does the statements of who God is. Oh, Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Uh, King Jehoshaphat recognizes that God in heaven is actually also ruler of over everything. He is making a statement. You have power in heaven that rules over everything of earth. You have the complete power to handle the situation. And he states that because, and anything that, um, that when we're seeking God, anything that takes us to this place that we cry out to God, we first need to remind ourselves of who God is and what it is that is causing us to be afraid. And then in verse seven, it says, did you not, our God, drive out all the inhabitants of this land before your people in Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? So then he 
has first said who God is, and then he states who God has been. He starts say, saying who God has been in the past, talking about Abraham and giving all this land to Abraham's descendants. Uh, in Lamentations 3.21 is one of my favorite verses. This I recall, therefore I have hope. And I believe there's so much uh, encouragement that comes from God when we start recalling who he has been in our past. As we recall who he's been in our past, and we also recall who he is, then it helps us to face this present situation. Also, he is uh, using God's word in his prayer. He's, he's using uh, wording that's come from um, in, in the tabernacle when they were committing the tabernacle to the Lord and uh, just crying out to God at different places. He's using that wording. I believe in praying God's word back to him. You can't go wrong when we're, you're using God's word and talking to him. Then in um, verse 10, it says, And now, behold, men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are coming. They're coming to drive us out and your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Now is when he's stating the problem. So he has said who God is, who God has been, and now he is stating his problem and who he got, needs God to be today in his situation. You know, it's um, interesting that he's telling him that uh, God would not allow them to drive out those three enemies before. You see it, the, uh, Ammon, uh, Deuteronomy 2.19, Moab, Deuteronomy 2.9, and Mount Seir, Deuteronomy 2.4-5. God is saying, don't drive them out. These are descendants of Lot, descendants of Esau. Leave them alone. Don't drive them out. So uh, King Jehoshaphat is, is stating the problem of saying, you didn't let us drive them out. You told us not to. And now these are the very people that are coming to attack us, and we need your help. In verse 12, I just love verse 12. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He says, King Jehoshaphat says, we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What an incredible prayer. In fact, shouldn't we be praying that all the time? God, I don't know what to do. I'm powerless. I'm powerless for this day. I don't know what to do with this day, but my eyes are on you. Shifting our focus off of our crisis and then putting our eyes on God. What a shift. I mean, it, it's an amazing, purposeful shift. I'm scared to death. Now I'm going to shift my eyes from there to the God that can do something about it because I am so powerless. Our great need begins to just drive us to prayer, begins us to sit before God, begging God to do something and telling him we are so powerless. Recognizing that I think is so important that we really cannot do anything. And when we know we can't do anything, then we wait on him. Uh, when I had my next situation, I had two doctors in Ventuk saying, we don't know what to do. You're really in a crisis with your neck and we don't have a clue what to do. And one sent me to the next and then the next one started finding out information uh, from other doctors and got me connected to a doctor in Cape Town. So as Brian and I sat in front of this doctor, and he's got uh, my MRI in front of him, and he's looking, and he's just kind of looking and looking. Well, at that time, he's saying, 
you know, you could be paralyzed with one bump. This will start very soon. You'll start uh, losing your ability to walk. And so Brian and I were just sitting in front of him as he's looking at the MRI saying these things. And I have to say, not at one moment did Brian and I start making suggestions to him. I had no suggestion. Brian had no suggestion. We didn't have a clue what to do about our, my neck. So we sat there and we waited for this doctor that dealt with uh, the spine and the spinal cord waiting for him to figure it out. We just helplessly waited and trusted he's gonna have a plan, surely he's gonna have a plan. And so <clears throat> I think about that, I don't know why so often when I feel powerless, I start giving God suggestions. I don't know if you're like me, but I give him suggestions on how he needs to handle this crisis and who he needs to get to do what and who needs to get out of my way and all those things. And I, I think, why don't I sit before him like I did with this doctor in Cape Town and just say, like King Jehoshaphat, I'm just powerless, God, but my eyes are on you and I'm waiting for your plan. So in verse 13 is also such a spectacular image to me. Meanwhile, all of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Do you see it? They're all, it's like they all came as families and stood. I, I just picture this as my family. We did this, uh, got together last year at my mom and dad's farm all the descendants of mom and dad. So there were 36 of us there. And so you have, I picture in my mind, my 88 year old father, all the way down to my 22 month old granddaughter. And when I think of, of us, if we were 36 people standing together before King Jehoshaphat, but before our heavenly father saying to him as a family, we're powerless. There's an enemy about to destroy this family and everything we know. God, we're powerless, but our eyes are on you. And so they stood there and they waited. In verse 14, it said, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jahazel. How amazing is that? So somebody that was standing in the crowd, the spirit of the Lord came on him and he began to say, listen, all of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. So can you imagine King Jehoshaphat, the king that has called everybody together? It's not the word of the Lord didn't come to him. What a great man he must have been. The fact that he could allow the word of the Lord to land on somebody else and he listened. He had a heart willing to listen what God was going to say through somebody else. He was open for God to speak through somebody else. This is a specific word that came that day. It's from the Holy Spirit. It says the Spirit of the Lord came on him when he was speaking. You know, when he, when he says there, uh, for the battle is not yours, but God's, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed at this great horde. We have to seek God every day. We have to seek God for each crisis, we have to seek God moment by moment. You know, the Bible gives us the framework of God's commands and his promises. We read that and we know who God is. We know his character and we know how he wants us to be living. But when 
uh, we read that, it doesn't tell me the detailed part of what I'm supposed to do today for my situation. So there's the Holy Spirit that indwells in us, is that if we will seek God, the Holy Spirit will give us the exact word from God for each moment of our life. Isn't that an incredible thought? I did that the other day about a situation. I got a call and was asked to call somebody else to handle a crisis. So I said, I'll call them in a bit. I sat for two hours and just started asking God, what are we supposed to do about this? I don't know what to do. And then I felt from God that he was giving me the exact words that need to be said, not by me, but by somebody else. So I called the somebody else and gave the exact wording. Interesting, when she used that wording, the situation was completely gone, completely taken care of. Now, I, I could never have found those exact words for that situation in my Bible, but God tells us if we go to him, the Holy Spirit who lives in us will give us the information that we need. He will tell us what we're supposed to be doing moment by moment if we continue seeking him. In verse 16, uh, it goes on with the uh, word from the Lord. It says, tomorrow, it's pretty fast, tomorrow go down against them. God says, get ready, tomorrow you need to go down against them. And this is where you're going to find them. They're going to be at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness. So go, that's what he tells them first, go find them. He tells them where he's going to find them. Uh, verse 17, you're not going to need to fight this battle. Well, this is kind of a strange thing. Go and find them because they're marching towards you, but you're not going to need to fight. Mm, that would be kind of one of those things I wouldn't be able to comprehend if God told me that. But this is what he says. And then he says, stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Meaning, don't get scared. And he says again, don't be afraid and don't be dismayed. Tomorrow, when you go out against them, the Lord's going to be with you. So they, it says then, King Jehoshaphat bowed his head, face to the ground. The king did that. Can you imagine seeing a leader do that in front of you? My president, your president, bowing to our heavenly father in front of the whole people that he actually serves and in, in, uh, is an authority over. It's not a weakness. What a strength that would be to see a leader bowing like that before God. And so he did, he bowed before, and then all the inhabitants followed suit. They did exactly, took that lead from King Jehoshaphat once again, and they bowed before the Lord, worshiping God for what he was doing and how he had given this word. And then in, in verse 19, it says the Levites stood up praising God, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. They weren't going, oh, praise God. That's just awesome, God. No, they were shouting. They were praising God with loud voices. They were so excited about what God had just told them. God has the plan. He had given them the plan. They were powerless. And God says, I'm not. I'm not powerless. I have a plan. And so the Levites stood up praising God with a very loud voice. So the next day, they got up early 
They weren't dragging their feet. They got up early, trusting God, and they went out to the wilderness. And they, they started, uh, as they started going into the wilderness, King Jehoshaphat stands up again and says to them, he says, hear me, all Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in your God and you will be established. Believe in his prom- prophets and you will succeed. You know, so often, I want to believe, man, I have trouble with my believer. It sometimes, it just won't get in line with what I'm desiring. When I have trouble believing and trusting in God, I actually tell him that, God, I just don't trust you. I don't believe what you say right now. I'm really still scared. Will you help me to grow in my faith in you? Would you help me to trust you more and more? that I will have peace in this situation. Ask God to increase your belief when it's lacking, because he will, he'll do that too. He's such a great God when we don't have what we need to believe that he can do it. Ask him to to help you to trust him more and more. Then in verse 21, when King Jehoshaphat had taken counsel, so he talked amongst themselves with the people, then he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire and they walked before the army. I just think that's incredible. And probably they probably volunteered. I can sing, I can sing. I probably wouldn't volunteer because I don't sing well. Maybe they weren't looking for good singers. Maybe they were looking for enthusiasm. Maybe I would have been chosen to be an enthusiastic singer and praiser of God. I don't know. But they put that group in front of the army so that that group marched first with no weapon but praise and song to God. That was their weapon. And the army marched behind them. The ones that had the, the physical weapons were marching behind the people with the spiritual weapon of praise and of thanksgiving to our God. I just think so often um, that we forget about this part. And then he says, they started going before them and they were saying, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And you know they were saying it loud, give thanks to the Lord for a steadfast love endures forever. Can you say that? Give thanks to the Lord for a steadfast love endures forever. Those of you right there on my left, you say that first, give thanks to the Lord. That's your part. And then those of you that are on my right over here, you say for his steadfast love endures forever. Ready? Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that feel good to remind yourself that that's what God wants us to be doing, to be praising him, standing up and saying, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And this is what's so awesome in verse 22. And when they began saying that and singing and praising God, the Lord set an ambush with these enemies, set an ambush amongst all these people that had come against them. Such an ambush that they actually destroyed themselves. It says that they attacked one group, uh, the inhabitants of Mount Seir. So when they uh, destroyed them, then they started destroying each other. And I like the way it says, they all helped to destroy one another interesting wording. They helped to destroy. They helped God just destroy themselves. Do you see that powerful weapon of praise and singing to our Heavenly Father? 
actually that was more powerful than any uh, physical weapon that the Israelites could have had. But they would have had casualties if they had to use their swords and whatever they were, would be fighting with. There would have been casualties on their side. But they didn't have one casualty in this battle as their weapons were praise and thanksgiving and singing to their heavenly father. And so Judah, though, is just marching on. And they don't even know this. So they're just singing. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. March, march, march. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. March, march, march. And all this is happening in another space that they're not even aware of that God is fighting a battle as they're praising the Lord. So when they get to the watchtower of the wilderness, uh, I picture in my mind, you've, and I'm going to try to say it correctly, spritzhukta, maybe. Uh, when you, have you been there where it's just a drop off of the world? When you stand at that ledge there and you look down to that valley, just this vast valley down below you, I can picture to me something like that, that they march, march, march to that ledge and they look down because it says they look towards the horde and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground and not one person had escaped. What a sight that had, had to have been because they are marching, marching, praising God, but they are prepared. God's told them to stand firm, hold your position. He's told them that. So in my mind, I think I'd be thinking there's still a battle to come. God's just going to help us fight because they've seen this throughout history that God would help uh, his people fight these battles. But they get there and the battle's already been fought for them this time. And so it had to be so shocking to them. So after they get over the shock, the Bible says they go down and they, there's just the spoils of what uh, these three armies have done to each other. So much so is their, their food, their uh, shoes, their clothing, says precious things, so I don't know what that is, precious things. So the Israelites started collecting this, and there was so much there that they couldn't carry it all. There was so much laying on all these bodies that they couldn't take everything that, that was there. You know, I picture that them, you know, running down and just going, ah, this is so exciting, God's done it. And then they start just collecting things and maybe they, <clears throat> maybe some guy looks at this guy that's dead on the ground and sizes up his clothes or whatever, takes some of his ammunition, takes his horse. Well, I don't know. But as they did this in excitement, can't you imagine there was at some point that a hush would have just fallen over them all and they just were in awe of God? Like, how could this be? How could God have done this for me? Has God ever done that for you? Just given you a moment of awe that he fought a battle for you and you didn't even know he was fighting for you and you're just in awe of God. I just picture them being there, this, this hush going over them and them just going, how could this be? How did this happen that God did this? For us, for me, how could this have taken place? And so on the fourth day, as they gathered together, they began to bless the Lord and to, to just say who he was and how they loved him and how they thanked him. And so the valley became named Barakah. And Barakah means blessing. The valley of blessing is what it was called at that time because their battle had been as a march to a battle 
the battlefield became the blessing field for them, that God had given them a huge blessing. So they stood in that now blessing field for them and blessed God back, and they called it the, the Valley of Blessing. So then they returned uh, back to Judah. Everybody came home. Every, it says every man. So every person that went out returned uh, there with joy going back to the land. And they came <clears throat> with their harps and their lyres and their trumpets. So you know they were so noisy as they were marching back home. And you know the people back home hear all this noise and know that this is a celebration and waiting to hear. In verse 29, it says, And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. You know, I like this too. When our crisis becomes our God story that God uses to tell others about him. Have you had that? Your crisis becomes your God story to share who Jesus is to the world. Have you thought of those? Do you use them in sharing Jesus? That crisis story that you just didn't see how you could take care of this, you were powerless, and that God showed up and fought this battle for you. Think of those stories. Remind yourself and tell them to others to be a witness just like this, that the fear of the Lord would come over people when they realize that you have a mighty God who fights for you. In verse 30, it says that God gave uh, all the way around King Jehoshaphat quiet. God gave him rest, that no one was fighting against him, basically for now, because that's what happens to us. We come to an end of a crisis, we praise God it's done, that God has had a victory there, and then there's another one that will come one day. And this whole thing starts all over again. You know, once, one time I was in an emergency room, there was this huge sign on the wall that categorized how who were uh, those who were waiting in the waiting room would be dealt with. And it had a triage effect that the most severe situations would be taken care of first, and the, the bottom line would be the ones that weren't dying or bleeding to death or something like that. So it would be greatest crisis first, then uh, the, the lesser crisis would be handled then. I was thinking about this. Aren't you thankful God doesn't do that with our crisis? I, I was thinking of how I'm grieving over my nine, almost 91-year-old Nottingham mother-in-law dying two weeks ago. And, and at the same time, I am grieving. I, I've known her since I was 16 years old, and I love her so very much. And this is such a huge loss for me and my family. And so as I'm grieving that, I have a missionary colleague who is grieving that her husband is fighting liver cancer right now. <clears throat> and it's a, a hard life and death battle for them right now. My daughter has been grieving that she might have to put down her dog that she's had for many, many years. And at the same time, I'm also grieving about my parents who have been impacted severely with COVID and can't uh, do everything for themselves anymore and us trying to figure out how do we help my parents uh, to be taken care of during this time. I have to say, God sees all of these things. God sees you. God hears your heart and he doesn't do triage. God takes all of our situations and he uh, deals with us individually. <clears throat> when it is our crisis, it's important to us. If my finger is burnt while I'm cooking, 
man, that hurts. And that really takes my attention. Somebody else could be having a life and death situation, but God hears both of those things. He hears my fingers been burnt and that somebody else is in a life or death situation. When we cry out to him, he hears us and he wants to know what is concerning us. He hears our heart. He hears our plea. He has a specific plan for us to go forward in this battle. If we just ask him, for we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but God, our eyes are on you. Our heavenly father hears every cry of your heart and he has a plan. This is Rico Veca, and I'm also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.